Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit HancockWhitney.com slash COVID-19 for the latest. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Welcome to Out to Lunch. One of the earliest planks of organization of human society was division of labor. Instead of all of us going out hunting for food, a few of us could go while the rest of us could stay behind and do something else that's useful. In many societies, including our own, that division was by gender. Men went hunting and women didn't. It's still largely that way here in Louisiana. Men go duck hunting. If you're a woman, you can go duck hunting too. But if you're looking for anything to wear that is designed to fit you, protect you, both from the elements and from the effects of shouldering a firearm, you have a great deal of trouble. That's why Emily Deegan launched the company St. Hugh. St. Hugh designs and manufactures clothes for women who like to hunt and who like to look good in outdoor apparel when they're not hunting. Emily, welcome out to lunch. Thanks for having me. If you've got an idea for an innovative new business in Louisiana and you're looking for someone to finance it who doesn't have the word shark in their name, you could partner with Innovation Catalyst. Innovation Catalyst is an unusual animal in the finance world. It's a venture capital enterprise that's a nonprofit. Yes, you heard that correctly. Innovation Catalyst invests real cash in local startups, but it's a nonprofit, community centered organization aimed at growing local, high tech companies through education, connections, and capital. The vice president and general counsel of Innovation Catalyst is Bill Ellison. Bill, welcome out to lunch. Thank you, Peter. Emily, one of the early keys to growing a successful manufacturing business is identifying a market. There are usually two types of markets the mass market, and the niche market. The mass market comes with the challenge of scale. You need to be able to make and distribute your product by the millions. The niche market comes with the challenge of finding a niche that's big enough. Which would you imagine is the challenge for St. Hugh? Are there enough women duck hunters out there to make this work? Or are St. Hugh duck hunting clothes more like Lululemon yoga clothes? If every woman in New Orleans wearing Lululemon yoga clothes right now went to a yoga class, they'd be nobody in Whole Food, Trader Joe's, or driving a, an SUV uptown. Is that the kind of niche St. Hugh is aiming at, or are you strictly for duck hunters? So that's actually an interesting question, because we kind of straddle both of those spheres. So before we got started, I did an extensive amount of market research, where I leveraged um, U.S. Census Bureau data in accordance with wildlife and fisheries um, hunting license information data, and identified 3.2 million potential customers throughout the Southeast. So these are women who hunt or are related to someone who hunts that likely they go out and hunt with who would be interested in our clothes from a field perspective. But the biggest way that we differentiate ourselves from our competitors and drive value in this space is that we make 
field apparel that in addition to being obviously very field capable is also fashion forward. So we take field functional patterns and materials and cut them in ways that are stylish so that these women can also use them as streetwear. So as such, our products are appealing not only to the hunters. Because if they're wearing camo, I can't see them. Right. That's one of the problems <laughs> in the street. There. Yeah. And this yeah, isn't, by exactly. the way, I, when I was reading about the company, it isn't standard camo. You're, you're actually looking for something very different. Yeah. So we created our own, what we call marsh print. So I took thousands of photos of the marsh grass um, down in Delacro and other parts of Southeast Louisiana. Um, I adjusted the coloring for, so pictures of the marsh grass and terrain. I adjusted the coloring to account for seasonality factors and actually time-lapse those photos to come up with a color palette that I used to create our own print. So it's actually in a herringbone style because I liked the way that the angles of a herringbone print kind of mirror the, made, the blades of grass in the marsh. But it's a, it's a, it's a much more um, attractive print that has really lent itself to street use. Bill, the concept of a nonprofit venture capitalist is a bit like some of my other favorite oxymorons, guest host, student teacher in humble Texas. Uh, the reality is, of course, that everybody who invests in a startup business is hoping they invest in something that turns out to be the polar opposite of nonprofit. For example, your organization, Innovation Catalyst, is an investor in one of Louisiana's biggest for-profit success stories, Waiter, the food delivery business that sold for $300 million. So let's use that as a place to start. Maybe you can walk us through your history with Waiter as a case study of how Innovation Catalyst works. Okay, well, Peter, well, small correction, it was $308 million. Oh, wow. So I uh, guess, yep, <laughs> you should be proud. We'll plug so, that in. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we, we invested in Waiter fairly early on when it was a, a $15 million valuation. And, um, now, we had them on the show, in the Lafayette mm -hmm. show. They were, they were out of out Lake Charles. Is that where they were out of? Started in Lake Charles. Okay. Chris Mose is the CEO from there, and you know, we we're obviously very impressed with him, his idea, his technology, and he had a vision for where he wanted to go, and he, he got there very quickly. What now? Uh, what did you see that really grabbed you with that? Uh, you know, I'd, obviously, I would. I, if I were to see that, I'd start to think about, you know, Uber Eats coming along and such. What 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 sold it for you? Well, it's hard to say because we're not a typical venture fund. So if a venture fund, there's going to be a litany of things they're going to rattle off. Oh, we like the leadership. We like the market. We like the size of the market. We like the technologies. Since we're a nonprofit venture capital fund, we're more of an economic development tool. Our mission is to strengthen and broaden Louisiana's entrepreneurial ecosystem. And we do that by investing, as you say, by connecting companies with other people and by, by mentoring them. Um, waiters, so it isn't just the money, is it? Exactly? It's not You're just the money. You're coming in and helping them out management-wise. Right. And okay. so of the 17 companies we've invested, there's a, a range of, of, of companies and in, in how, uh, how, how much we are mentoring them. Waiter was a fairly sophisticated company, so we were kind of just capital, and then we gave some, you know, we we brokered a deal where we invested in a company called IndiePlate, and Waiter ended up buying them, which was great for us. Um, uh, but most of our companies are on the smaller side. Uh, seven of the 17 were actually pre-revenue companies, so a lot of hands-on, you know, a lot of young entrepreneurs. Um, and so what we look, and to answer your question, what we look for there is, you know, does this guy have a potential to really grow the company? Is it, uh, does it have a market? It doesn't have to be a giant market. We're not ne necessarily looking for the next Google. We're looking for a company that can, you know, potentially like yours, that can create a niche, 
hire some people, create some tax revenue, you know, partner with other companies and grow the entrepreneurial uh, ecosystem. Well, let's take this has been a big profit maker for you and in Waiter, where does that mm -hmm. profit go to? We are an evergreen fund, meaning if we put out $100,000 and we get 500,000 back, that $500,000 we just reinvest in new companies. So the, the Waiter deal is gonna be great for us because obviously we're gonna have a really nice return, which then we're gonna have more money to invest. So in we should companies. all cheer for your success. Absolutely, then. absolutely. Is, is it all your money that's being invested? No, we get money primarily from the the, Bat, the Baton Rouge Research Park and um, high net worth individuals and foundations. So we're always looking to raise capital, and and it's a tax write off because we're a five hundred one c three. So if anybody's listening, we'd love to take your money and invest it in some Louisiana companies. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Bill Ellison from the high tech venture capitalist company Innovation Catalyst, and Emily Deegan from the women's outdoor apparel company St. Hugh. Emily, I got to say that when you were explaining the company, you didn't sound like just somebody who went duck hunting a lot and thought this was fun. You you have quite a background. You were an M and A consultant with Deloitte in Chicago. Uh, you've got you've got the chops here to, to do this. Uh, obviously, you could be doing a lot of other things. Mm -hmm. What what grabbed you here? Yeah, so um, so I studied accounting at Notre Dame and then went to work for Deloitte in Chicago in their M and A group. And during that time, I had the opportunity to kind of see a lot of different businesses of a lot of different sizes in a variety of industries. And it really helped me, one, not only learn a lot, but also figure out, you know, more long term, the types of spaces that I wanted to play in. So um, growing up, I always had a really hard time finding outdoor apparel for hunting that fit right and felt good, much less looked good. So it would kind of been an idea to start a business like St. Hugh that I had in the back of my mind for a long time. And the longer I spent with Deloitte, um, while it was a great place to launch my career, I knew it was something that I didn't want to be doing long term. And so um, as I sort of went through that realization process, it kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what, I've always had this idea. Um, if I don't do it now while I'm That's young true, and yeah. I don't have any dependents or anything like that, it's probably never going to happen. And so, you know, I had that realization and then did a little bit of market research as well and realized that, you know, this actually is a really good time to be starting a business like, like the one that I well, had I envisioned you, in this space. Where so, does the name come from? So it actually comes from St. Hubert, who was the Catholic patron saint of hunting. And he no was, way. Yeah. They had one for that, I too? I did not know that. Yeah. Jeez, yeah, and he was actually the first advocate for humane hunting, which is something that just philosophically I liked a lot as well. Do you, um, do you have any des uh, you know, background in clothing design? No. So, um, so you know, I, I took sewing lessons as a little girl at Ursuline. I was born and raised here in New Orleans. Um, so, you know, I'd spent a lot of summers doing that. So I had a general knowledge of garment construction, but no, I mean, I didn't, I certainly didn't, in a formal sense, study, um, study garment making or manufacturing in any way. Um, so that was a big learning curve, but I knew what I wanted as a consumer in an end product. So I kind of worked backwards from there and leveraged the sewing background that I did have to create technical detailed designs, which I then gave to a very talented pattern maker <laughs> who made my ideas into real life. Okay. So you're the, you've, you're at the napkin stage, you know, where you've got, right. and you've got a, a very uh, successful person you're working with. Where do they physically get produced? So our first line was cut and sewn in Los Angeles. 
Um, since then, you know, I, it's always been my goal to support the New Orleans ecosystem and manufacturing in Louisiana. Unfortunately, at the time that the first line was produced, I just couldn't find um, the right talent and resource pool here. I've since been working with local developers to, um, to have future products designed and developed here. So, um, so that's something that I've been excited. And to then do. you were on a, a terrific business show and met a guy named Bill Ellison and yep. everything <laughs> turned, around, turned around for you. That is, uh, yep. there's now the other thing, Emily is, and I'm picturing this is what is different about women's duck hunting clothes. I'm trying to picture this. Initially I'd say, oh, they're smaller, but it's more than that, right? Right. So it's smaller. Um, women are just made a little bit differently from men. So I've obviously from a, is it, is a, but yeah. is it the cut? Yeah. From a fit perspective, they need to be cut differently. Um, and then from a functional perspective, you know, women. So one thing that I always struggled with growing up was I enjoyed shooting, but I didn't enjoy the after effects of bruising that oh, I got yeah. a lot from shooting. And so um, women's collarbones protrude a lot more than men's do. And so that was something that I knew I wanted to find a way to add protection for within the garments themselves. So that's, that's one feature of our products that I'm really proud of. Um, and then also just from a style perspective, you know, women want to look good and feel good. And presumably if you look good and feel, and feel good while you're doing what you love, you're going to do it better. And so you gonna um, shoot better. <laughs> that is. I find that I do. Is a there lot any background in information? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So I mean, yeah. so that you know, it's all about empowerment. It's all about helping women feel their best, and in a lot of cases, that comes from looking their best. And so, um, yeah. So that was a big part of what I wanted to do was create something that was stylistically appealing as well. Emily, going forward with your market, how many women do you think? who are going to buy your product or buying it because I'm a hunter and how many I'm not a hunter I just want to look cool in this camo yeah so to date that's actually been almost a clean 50-50 split really in terms of our sales yep and I guess to improve your market you got to get more people hunting how do you get women hunting I have a wife who doesn't hunt that's why I ask <laughs> yeah um, so it's interesting I've had the opportunity to um, travel a bit and attend a bunch of different trade shows. Now, is that where you, that's exactly what I was going to ask. Sure. Where do you sell them? Is that, like I've been to GCCA events and they have people yeah. have booths. Is that the kind of thing you do? Yeah, so we have done that. So we're direct to consumer. So our primary sales channel is online through our website. But like I said, I've done a series of pop-up shops, some of which have been in conjunction with larger trade organizations like Safari Clubs. Mm -hmm. um, we have taken part in the Houston Safari Clubs. Uh, Safari Expo, the Wild Sheep Shows Expo, um, a couple of wildlife and fisheries events. And um, to your point, Bill, one of the things that I've heard from so many, you know, more middle-aged to older female hunters is that hunting wasn't something that they took up until much later in life, and they just wish they'd been exposed to it earlier on because they love it so much. Um, so it's kind of more like once their kids got out of the house, they had more time on their hands, you know, they took up this great hobby. And so I think that in hearing that, um, my perspective on that is the biggest issue is exposure. So exposing more women to this um, really fun activity is something that is definitely part of our mission. And hopefully, you know, these women will find value in the products that we provide and 
create more women hunters, create more customers. Bill and Emily, this is the part of the show we call your brother-in-law. It's <laughs> It's been a long day. You're looking forward to some peace and quiet walking the dog when the phone rings and it's your brother-in-law. You know he only calls to ask if he can leave his pet macaw with you while he goes out of town for a week. But this time it's different. This time your brother-in-law's got a business idea. Emily, your brother-in-law has an idea for a product called Mr. Duck Mister. It's a perfume spray bottle in the shape of a duck for women who like to give themselves a little spritz of perfume while they're out in the blind. You can have them manufactured in China for $3 each. He'll sell them to you for $6. He figures you can sell them for $19.99. What do you say? Can you give him $5,000 as an advance on purchasing the first order? Um... So let me ask you a couple questions. <laughs> so is this spritzer, is this providing any value outside of just, you know, smelling good for myself and whoever I'm hunting with? Or is it neutralizing any other sort of odors that we would be afraid other animals in the area could be smelling? That, that, and that, that would have to be B, right? Because yeah. uh, you're trying to eliminate any... Right. Okay, so, so if it's bringing value to the experience in that way... I would give them $5,000. But not the other way. It's going the wrong way. Not yeah, necessarily the other so way. So Chanel good decided. Answer. Yeah, good answer. Good, good answer. answer. <laughs> now, Bill, will you have as good an answer? That's what I want to know. Is Bill, your brother-in-law has a great idea for a startup business. It's uh-huh. kind of like the other side of St. Hugh. It's called Rugged Petals. It's clothes for men who like to arrange flowers. He's done an informal study at his favorite bar and found there's a real niche market. He's got a couple of designs that he's mocked up, and he wants to know if Innovation Catalyst would like to invest. What do you tell them? I think my initial response is, is I, I do like to invest in things that I know and understand. And the simple out would be, I don't understand that market, <laughs> so I'm out. Uh, but I would listen to them. Uh, I would probably pass on that one. Okay, okay. Now, when, uh, which brings up the fact that you have to say no a lot, right? A lot, And yes. is it just you or is it a board or that uh, here's these uh, it, pitches? It, it, it all depends. They may come in front of me. They may come in front of my partner, Louie. Uh, we have a board. And so what we typically do when we decide to invest, we go and get our board approval. Uh, but typically, we all just meet. I, I meet so many companies. Um, I know pretty quickly if we're going to be interested. Uh, so if I'm not, I tell them. If, if we are going to be interested, I usually um, say, okay, this is what I need from you, and do some due diligence, and then um, we have a program at the, at the tech park in Baton Rouge. It's called the Investment Readiness Program. So I may like you, I like your idea, but I might think, look, you're not quite ready for capital, even at our level, so I'm going to refer you to the Investment Readiness Program. And they have people there who are going to help you kind of fill in the gaps. Hey, you don't know how to do this. Let me figure, let, let's teach you how to do that. Kind of like an incubator it is? Or? It, it's, well, it's kind of a different level than an incubator. It, it's, it's helping them get to the point where they can come to me and I'm going to say yes. Bill, we've had a lot of different people on this show in different areas of, of funding. And uh, most recently, we had a person on that was uh, created an angel fund. How does that differ, or is it the same thing you're doing? Uh, it, it's similar. Uh, an angel fund, you're investing your own money. We're a venture capital fund, so we're investing other people's money. Uh, but we all work together. The, like, there's not a lot of people in Louisiana that fund companies, and so we all know one another. And so if, if a company comes to me and I really like it, um, I'm going to try to bring in you know, the New Orleans startup with Jimmy Roussel. I'm going to go to Mike Eckert, the New Orleans Angel. I'm going to go to John Atkinson at Lanyap. Hey, look, I got this company. They're raising $800,000. We're trying to you know, syndicate the, 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 the round. And so we, we reach out to one another. So it's not like venture capital where you might be fighting for that same deal. 
Correct. Yeah, that is a correct. That is a big change. No, the more the barrier. We want other people to look at it, and you know, maybe they may pick up something that we don't. Uh, they may have expertise that we don't see a, a problem with the company. So that's why everybody kind of works together. And when we started the show, we would talk to a lot of entrepreneurs that said the missing link was funding. Do you feel like that's getting better here? Oh, it's definitely getting better, but that is the problem. Uh, Forbes did a study last year. Louisiana's ranked 49th in innovation. And, you know, what that you know, means... No, there's only 50 states. I uh, know, so that's not good. So, you know, what that means is... We were like 49th in, in R&D per capita. We were like 45th in um, venture capital per capita. And, you know, federal spending per capita, we're low. We're doing better. We've got a long way to go. Long way to go. Okay. <laughs> now, now, women duck hunters and Louisiana high-tech superstars are two things we are not known for in New Orleans. Uh, like a lot of other things around here, that's changing. Emily and Bill, this has been an enlightening and entertaining conversation. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Emily Deegan, founder and CEO of St. Hugh, and Bill Ellison, Vice President and General Counsel of Innovation Catalyst. You can find out more about Emily's apparel and Bill's investments by following the links on our website, itsneworleans.com. The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. You can listen to the show and to past episodes of Out to Lunch wherever you get podcasts and at itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we look like, and spoiler alert, uh, Emily is not wearing one of the duck hunting outfits, uh, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and It's New Orleans Facebook page. The photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the table here at Commander's Palace for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base, joneswalker.com. And by Hancock Whitney. Hancock Whitney is here for families, here for businesses, here for communities during this challenging time. Visit hancockwhitney.com COVID-19 for the latest. And by... Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. And by Peony on Magazine Street, exceptional women's and children's clothes and gifts. And by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. And by the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 